Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> this morning I'm going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. The passage is in Luke chapter 9, so take a Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book in the New Testament. We have Bibles in the pews if you need one. When I look at the superficial discipleship, the superficial following of Jesus in our nation. This passage is a good passage to have a self-examination this morning. I want you to think of all the excuses that you use to not do as Jesus is telling you to do. And then in the light of this passage, tell me if one of those excuses really cuts it with God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you once again for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary for each one of our sins. For the whole problem of sin was nailed to the cross. Lord, we can have the assurance and we can have the confidence that if your Spirit is within us, you're justified, you're sanctifying us, and one day we will be glorified. But as we go along the pathway with Jesus today, there's testing that comes. Testing, will we follow Jesus by way of the cross? Or do we want to get into your kingdom some other way? So Lord, please send us your Holy Spirit. May he dwell within each one of us. Open our minds and hearts. And give us the, the right response this morning, Lord. To say yes, no buts, no excuses but just to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we turn to Luke chapter what? What verses? You haven't told us yet, Pastor. Okay, somebody's awake this morning. We can pick it up in verse 51. And by the way, I've titled this sermon, Karen, what were you thinking? You never asked me for a sermon title today. Karen makes these labels they put on the CDs and DVDs. So she wants a title, hopefully a short one, and she wants Scripture. So the Scripture today is Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 62. And the title is But. B-U-T, just so we know which but we're talking about with an exclamation point. My inspiration for this came from reading a sermon once by an English preacher called G.C. Morgan. And uh, I was just intrigued with the way that he handled this passage. Have we prayed? Yeah, of course we have. I've actually preached this once, so Mrs. Kennedy, you get to hear Another version. They're, ne they're never the same. They're never the same. Okay, Jesus knew that his time had come. He's heading to Jerusalem. Verse 51 of our passage tells us that. He resolutely, he steadfastly is aiming to die on the cross of Calvary so the whole human race can be redeemed. Amen? Nothing can deter him. He's following the Master's plan. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the creation of this world, maybe before the creation of this universe, for all I know, had a plan to redeem the human race should they sin. So in a sense, the Father sends the Son, the Son voluntarily comes and dies on the cross. And why we pray for the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is Jesus and God's representative to help us to understand the significance of what God's plan for Him and for us is all about. So the key word this morning is following. What does it mean to follow Jesus' plan? In verse 11 of chapter 9, it says the crowds followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. But the more clearly that Jesus spoke about his kingdom, the less that people followed. I hope it's not like that with us. I hope that when we follow Jesus, we're not thinking it's going to be some easy, smooth way. I don't know that there's anything easy about dying on a cross, do you? Dying on the cross and following God are actually tied together in this chapter today. In verse 21, Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. And then Jesus warned them in this way, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Is that clear or not? You think it was so clear the disciples couldn't miss it. But they did. In the context of the cross, he said this to them, if anyone would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily. Luke adds the daily. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man, and ladies you're included, for a person to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his or her very self? anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. All of that is part of following Jesus Christ. I learned very early on in my Christian life, like the first day, that when you follow Jesus Christ, you separate from the crowd. I was torn this week on which passage to preach. I really feel, feel I should preach this passage, but as, as the week was progressing, I was thinking of some of the powerful things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks of two ways. The broad way, everybody seems to be on the broad way, on the broad way, you can do whatever you want. And then he speaks of a narrow way, 
which way would you choose? The easy broad way or the difficult or more difficult narrow way? The amazing thing is that the more difficult narrow way is the way that leads to the kingdom. He talks of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. And then, of course, this very picturesque illustration of houses being built. One being built on sand. One being built on the rock. The rock being a symbol for Jesus Christ. Which house survived when the going got tough? The one that was built upon the rock. All of this and much more in Scripture is related to discipleship, related to following Jesus Christ. Our passage also tells us that because Jesus was set on going to Jerusalem in verse 53, that the Samaritans did not welcome Him. How could they follow someone who was determined to die? So Jesus moves on trying to find others who would follow. And as he's walking along the road, a man says to him in verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds good, doesn't it? This morning, um, one of our church members said to me, Pastor, I have to talk with you. Well, I was turning on the air conditioning just before I preached with the Spanish, so I said, okay, I'll give you 20 seconds. This genuinely was uh, one of those brief conversations. And she says, well, there's a whole bunch of people that want to join Anderson Church. I says, we'll talk later. Someone comes knocking on my door saying that they want to join the Anderson Church. What do I say? Sign on the dotted line. The invitation is there. Why not? We want our family to grow, do we not? We want it to expand. So that means we need to put a Starbucks in our foyer. We need the pastor to preach in his jeans. Or at least take his tie off. You know, this is all ornamentation. It actually drops in your soup if you're not careful. It's not very functional. But we can see, those of us that live in North America, that there is an easy Christianity where you make sure that the chairs are so soft, hopefully not too soft so the saints fall asleep, like Laodicean, But you make sure they have their coffee, they have comfortable seats. The most shocking one I saw was in a fast-growing church near where I live, and mom, dad, and the children came in, grown-up children, and the boy was the first one coming in the row before me, so my eye uh, hit on him first, and he had a big container of popcorn. thought, where did he get that from? I think he got it from the foyer. And then they sat down, and he sat down just slightly to my right, one row in front, and he put his feet up with his sneakers on, up on the pew in front, or the seat, they weren't pews, but up on, they were like theater seats, up on the seat in front, 
And then he started throwing the popcorn in his mouth. Mom and dad were pretty regular, normal, nothing unusual there. Same with the daughter. But I thought, is this, is this the way to get ready to worship God? There's a false, and I'm not saying this young man was a false Christian, but there is a false Christianity, a candy floss Christianity in our nation. So we need to stick with the Word of God, especially, especially the writings of Jesus, what Jesus is being said about Jesus, looking at the example of Jesus. And how does he reply in verse to this uh, Statement, I will follow you wherever you go, verse 57. And Jesus replied, do you really know what you're talking about? Do you realize the cost of discipleship? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Are you prepared for that kind of following? And I don't know about you, but I like a comfy bed and a comfy pillow. And if I have to stay in motels and so on, which sometimes we do that, don't really rest that well. Like to be in my own bed. Well, what if Jesus asks us to follow him and there is no comfy bed? And there are no meals on the table as you would normally expect. Are you prepared for that? There was a second man. And the Lord saw him and said to him, follow, follow me. And the man declined the offer. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems a reasonable request, does it not? How are we supposed to interpret that? When you study in your Bible, always remember that there are, there are the big distance between now and then. About 2,000 years from the New Testament. Different culture, Middle Eastern culture. And in the Middle Eastern culture, this statement can mean something very different than what we think it would mean. So most commentators, when they, they look at this, they say, well, if this man's father had actually died, he would be mourning for him. But within the culture, it could mean something quite different. Here's an illustration. Uh, Dr. George Adam Smith, this probably happened in the 20th or the 19th century, was trying to persuade a young Arab to go with him into the interior of one of the Middle Eastern countries. And at last, the Arab looked at him and said, let me first go and bury my father. Almost exactly the same words as we have in our text this morning. However, the father was sat right next to him when he said it. So what he meant was that he had family obligations and could not go with Dr. Smith into this Arab, into this Middle Eastern country. So the second man in our passage who raised this difficulty of following our Lord, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. When you're called to follow, or when you ask to follow, 
There are no excuses. There are no buts. You, you can't go and take care of family for one week, six months, six years, who, who knows how many decades before mom and dad actually die. That kind of excuse doesn't work with Jesus. So he says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. If you understand the urgency of the hour, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing. That is more important than anything else on your agenda and my agenda. Whether you realize that or not, that's what Jesus is saying. There's not houses. There's not families. Does it mean we don't take care of our houses? Is that what the Bible teaches? Don't buy a house. Don't take care of a house. Just let it all go to wreck and ruin. Don't pay off the mortgage. It's going to be taken from you anyway in the time of trouble. No, that's not the Christian response. These things are given, even our families are given, that we will enjoy this world. But we don't love things, right? We can like things, comfortable bed, roof over your head, food on the table, whatever it might be. But we don't love those things. We hang loose to things. Jesus even has a statement. He says, not, not even mother or father or son or child or any family member can, can come between you and the kingdom of God. How many times as a pastor have I seen people be on the edge of the kingdom and they have some unbelieving spouse who holds them back and they side with the spouse instead of following Jesus into the kingdom? Every one of us, every one of us is going to be tested. And tested and tested. I like, as I said before, the fact that Luke includes the daily in carrying that cross, which is part of following Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at some of the... Uh, oh, there's also a third man here who hesitatingly says, I'll follow you, Lord, but... So here's where the title of the sermon comes from. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. To which Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Kind of an interesting passage. Is it thinking of Elisha? Is Jesus thinking of Elisha there? Plowing, keeping his eye fixed. You know, you're plowing, you can't be saying, hi, Fred. Hi, Judy, you've got to keep your eyes on the goal. Otherwise, it's going to be all over the place. No straight lines, right? Is he thinking of Elijah? Elisha, who was called to ministry, had to leave his plow and, and join the ministry? I don't know. I don't know. He actually did go back to his family, it seems, and, uh, and then followed God. So look at, let's look at some of the principles here. I want you to notice this morning the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that must always be supreme. It must be number one. I want you to look at some of the concerns that come to our minds when we hear that call. And I don't know, Les, whether this fits in for nominating committee or not. 
I'm a little hesitant to go there. <laughs> but hey, hey, the call comes. The call comes, does it not? I hope that you, none of you say, Pastor wants you to be head elder. You don't ever say that, do you, nominating committee? The nominating committee is asking you to serve in such and such a capacity. Take that seriously. Pray about it. Ask God to impress upon you. Get out of your comfort zone. You know, we've had some, some pillars of the church who have passed away. Who's going to step in to the void? Hopefully, it's not going to be anyone making excuses. I didn't hear Ben Westfall making too many excuses, did you? So he's left as a legacy, as have others here that we can learn from them. So the call of Christ, the concerns that we have, and finally the commitment that God is expecting from us. So the first man said, said, uh, I will follow you. The third man said, I will follow you, Lord, but... And to the other man, Christ said, follow me. This is Jesus' favorite phrase. It seems to be an important phrase in the Gospel of Luke. He seems to like that. These Bible writers are, have the freedom. They're not robots. This is not mechanical dictation. These men have great freedom to pick and choose from the life of Jesus and from the accounts of Jesus, be they oral or written, and put their message together. And Luke has chosen, it seems to me, uh, to use this phrase, follow me, uh, a number of times. For example, there's, there's Levi, the tax collector. Jesus, he's ripping off all the people. He's up to his neck in sin. Jesus comes along to Levi and says, come. Follow me, the Scripture says in Luke 5, 27 and 28, that Levi got up, left everything, and did what? Followed Jesus. Now in Luke 18, verse 22, there's a rich young ruler. It's a very interesting passage. I don't think, can't remember ever preaching on that passage, but it was, it's one that begs to be preached. Luke 18, 22, the rich young ruler, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The greatest question that anyone can ever ask. And he's asking Jesus, the Creator, the soon to be the Redeemer of the human race. So Jesus says to him, well, go keep the commandments and so on and so forth. And this young man said, all these things I've done from my youth. You know the story. And Jesus says, okay, fine. If that's the case, Give up all your wealth. Give it to the poor. And come, follow me. Now, do you think Jesus can put his finger on the problem? Doesn't he isolate that issue real well in that young man's life? Didn't he expose the foolishness of saying that he's kept all the commandments of God when money was his God? It says that Jesus loved him. It says the young man loved Jesus. I will follow you, Lord, but he never quiet followed. We hear no more about him in Scripture. Be careful when you say no to the call of Christ. 
you may never get another chance. Satan is just waiting in the wings to see how we respond. He's just ready to jump all over us if we say no to Christ or make all of these excuses. Anyway, the young man did not follow Jesus Christ. And as I said, that's all part of the cost of following God. Jesus calls us for our confidence. He asks for our submission. He wants our trust and He wants, hence our story this morning, our obedience. He doesn't want our excuses. They don't cut it. His call has to be supreme. And we have large sections of the Old Testament discussing that very thing. God brings this nation out of slavery and all they have to do is follow God. God will provide fire by night, cloud by day. If they're running short of food, it will rain down from heaven. If they're getting short on... on uh, on water, it'll come out of a rock. You can't read those passages and say God did not provide. Even their shoes would not wear out. And their clothing would not wear out as long as they were following God and His directions. And how many times do they, do they stumble over the call of God and their commitment to God and go some other way and fall into sin over and over and over again. And essentially, you have a record there in the Old Testament of a failed discipleship on the part of many of his followers. Well, what are some of the concerns that we have about this call which is so supreme with God? Well, it could be many, many things. It could be our family. It could be the material things that I mentioned earlier. Sometimes it could even be the future. How many times have I heard the excuses, uh, okay, this is when I'm 20 years of age and I first become a Christian. I can't follow Jesus Christ because I'm too young. To all the young people that I hung out with, not a one of them followed Jesus Christ. They were all too young. They wanted to live their life. Live their life without Jesus? What kind of life is it? It's death, not life. And then when you meet the older folks, oh, pastor, I'm too old. As though they've missed their opportunity and they have no more opportunities. We all can make excuses and they don't work with God. The only thing that's important is to actually follow Him with no buts. Many years ago, Margaret, a lady called Margaret, told a story about her experiences while traveling in the Far East. Three simple things happened which illustrate the importance of having a good guide. Is God a good guide? Is Jesus worth following? All of that is part of following Him, to understand that. First, the guide came to them and said, will you be good enough to give everything to me? Give everything to me. And so they gave up their large baggage, their luggage, and and so on, but the ladies tenaciously held on to something. What were the ladies holding on to? Now you know. 
you know. You know the things you hold on to in your life. So they held on to that process, but the guide said, no, you must trust me. Give everything to me. So reluctantly they did that, and he said, hey, they're far safer with me than with yourself. After a little while, they were waiting at a railway station for a train. The guide was uh, looking at the baggage, and a train came in, and the whole party climbed onto the train. And as soon as they were seated, the guide goes into the train and said, will you be good enough to come out of the train? So they came out complaining and griping, what's the problem? He said, this is the wrong train. Will you be kind enough not to go before me, but after me? During the next few days, while on the long train journey, they wondered whether there would be proper accommodations at their destination. They met a stranger who had just come from the place that they were heading to, and he said, no way, you're never going to find accommodation there. It's all just taken. So the party became anxious. The guide was strangely silent. When they arrived, everything was ready, and the guide said quietly, perhaps you will trust me to prepare for you ahead. God can take care of your present as He took care of your past, and He can certainly take care of your future. And I know that's very hard for some people when they're facing retirement. How do you know how much money you will need for retirement? You're going to live 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 You don't know how long you're going to live, right? So it can be a challenge. And yet ultimately, like anything else in life, we have to do the best we can, save the best way we can, earn, save the best way we can, and ultimately trust God to take care of us. Never will I leave you, never will I fail you. The Apostle Paul, even when his head was on the block, knew that God was taking care of him. So three things stand out in this illustration of the guide. Number one, give everything to me. Have you given everything to the Lord Jesus Christ? Two, follow me, but do not go where? Before me. That was the problem with the nation of Israel. Even when they'd been whipped by the enemy because they raced on ahead of God, they would still sometimes just go out on their own without the command of God, and then they would be severely uh, defeated by the enemy. So we get all these lessons in in the Old Testament, which is three-quarters, two-thirds of the Bible, and we need to learn from them. Finally, trust me about the hidden things of the future. I will give everything to you, Lord, but what are you holding on to? And we're not talking about purses anymore. We're talking about things in your life that you know do not glorify God. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you, maybe at this moment, maybe at some other time. And He's saying, hey, as you follow Jesus Christ, those things need to drop off. I also learned very early in my Christian walk with Jesus, He didn't approve of my music. 
Do you know what kind of music I used to listen to, Don? A lot of deep blues and jazz and really mournful stuff. And hey, now I'm a Christian. Now there's the joy of the Lord. It's your strength. Holy Spirit says, the records have to go. And they went because I love Jesus. It wasn't a problem. He helped me do that. It wasn't too long after I was visiting the Adventist church, I started hearing about changing your diet. Well, I don't think I'd cooked a meal in my life up to that point. And really, I haven't even up to now, really. And uh, the Lord sent me to Norway to, to uh, take care of that problem. And the uh, problem is she works so much. I don't, anyway, that's another story. So your food, your diet, even the clothes I wore were not for the glory of God. They were worn for other reasons. And I learned very, very early on in my Christian life that God would test me. He would test me over the Sabbath, which is kind of obvious to a lot of us who are Seventh-day Adventists. But he would test me in many other areas of my life. And you know, many, many years later after following Jesus, he still still testing me. Because the call to follow Jesus Christ is not just a, a once-for-all thing. It's a constant call. It's a constant test. It's a constant lifting up the cross of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. All of that is part of following Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses, the 144,000, they follow the Lamb where? Wherever. Wherever he takes them. And it has to be the same for us too. So I will follow you, Lord, buts, and the buts don't cut it. So when we, as, as we wind up here, what about this idea of commitment? I want you to, today to make a definite decision in your following Jesus Christ. Will you say, I will follow you, Lord, but? Or will you say, I will follow you, Lord, with no buts, no excuses, no holding back? And what God asks you to do, my friends, He gives you the power to do. This is not something, never ever interpret what I say, ever, as though you can do it in your own strength. None of this can you do in your own strength. Each one of us needs a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit to answer the call of God in a positive way. When we are tested, those, those little things in our lives that we hang on to, really they're not little for us, they're kind of big. Uh, they become very, very big if somebody tries to take them away. Those things that we, those crutches that we cling on to, Jesus says, hey, I'm your guide. It's better if they're all given to me. And those of us who worry about the future, well, we go to John 21. And we look at a man like Peter. If anybody would say, Lord, I will follow you, it was Peter. And he shot his mouth off way too many times. And as our children's story said, he fell into some holes constantly. Jesus had to dive down under the water and rescue him. And his... Here's a response to when he has denied his Lord three times. 
Jesus died on the cross, Peter's crushed. The disciples are crushed. They didn't understand really what Jesus' ministry was all about. Did he tell them? Yes, he did, numerous times. But somehow they were not able to understand. So in John 21, verses 15 through 19, we find ourselves at a breakfast. And we find the resurrected Lord. He's died on the cross for the human race. Sins of the human race has been resurrected from the dead. And he appears and he said, Simon, John 15, uh, 21, 15, Simon, do you truly love me? Peter was hurt by the question. For he was asked this question three times. I wonder why. And he replied, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you. Well, Peter, Jesus says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and be led where you do not want to go. Our Lord was talking about the future for Peter. He was telling this disciple that he would die by the way of the cross. Church tradition tells us that's exactly what happened. And, G and Peter felt so unworthy to die like Jesus, he has to be crucified upside down. All of that is part of following Jesus Christ. In Desire of Ages, the writer puts it this way, Jesus thus made known to Peter the very manner of his death, he even foretold the stretching forth of his hands upon the cross. Again, he bade his disciple, follow me. How would Peter respond? She says he was not disheartened by the revelation. He felt willing to suffer any death for his Lord. To Peter, the words, follow me, were full of instruction, not only for his death, but for every step of his life was the lesson given. Hitherto, Peter had been inclined to act independently. Can any of you relate to that? In your relationship with Jesus, you're essentially an independent spirit. He had tried to plan for the work of God instead of waiting to follow out God's plan. But he could gain nothing by rushing on before the Lord. Jesus bids him, follow me, do not run ahead of me, and then you will not have the hosts of Satan to meet alone. Let me go before you and you will not be overcome by the enemy. Every week in this church, we should have testimonies of victories that you're getting as you walk with Jesus, as you follow Jesus Christ. Of souls being one to the kingdom of God. This baptistry here, which if we took the top of it, would probably have some choice cobwebs, needs to be used every week. Is that exaggeration? Do you not think that these things were happening in the first century church? As people learned to follow Jesus Christ the right way? If we leave it to the pastors to win souls, we will be here for another millennium. It's not the way it works. So we too make our decision as Peter made his. I will follow you, Lord, wherever you take me, whatever you want me to do. Isn't that what we sung in the hymn? Three, what was it? 323? Hmm? 
6, 23. Oh, thank you for the bulletin, Lord. Where did my bulletin go? 341. There you go. Thank you, Ural. I'm glad someone's good at numbers. 623. Just take your hymnal. You've all sung this this morning. I hope it wasn't blasphemy when you sung it. 623. Let's see what you've sung. I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoe'er my lot may be. Where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord, I'll follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior, thou didst shed my blood for me. Isn't it good that the call of Christ is in the context of his sacrifice on the cross? Every claim upon you is always in the light of the cross. You find that very strongly in Paul's writings. Though the road be rough and thorny, trackless as the foaming sea, thou hast trod this way before me. Uh oh, that's interesting. Jesus went this way at one time. He learnt obedience as a man, as a human being. And I'll gladly follow thee. Though I meet with tribulations, sorely tempted though I be, I remember thou wast tempted and rejoice to follow thee. Though thou leadest me through afflictions, poor forsaken though I be, thou wast destitute afflicted and I only follow thee. Though to Jordan's rolling billows, cold and deep, thou leadest me, thou hast crossed the waves before me, and I still will follow thee. When the testing time comes, which may have been for you yesterday, it may be today, and it could be tomorrow. As far as I'm concerned, every day is a testing day. God is leading you deeper and deeper into maturity, He's getting ready, you ready for spending eternity with Him in glory, and He will do whatever He has to do to bring you and I to the point of surrender. Jesus was tested, was He not? He was tempted, He was tested, and even for the sake of, Lord, take this cup away from me, but He went through, and He sealed His sacrifice with His blood. Well done, you think the Father said, well done, good and faithful servant to Jesus? And he'll say the same to you and I as we learn to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we have the example of Jesus, but we have him not just as an example in some abstract theoretical way. He really did take flesh and blood, and he really was a human being. And his divinity was laid aside, so to speak. And he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. Father, we, we hear the call of Jesus this morning. We realize that there can be no buts, no excuses. That is just not satisfactory to you. Jesus died so that we will not make excuses. But Lord, we need your power. We need your presence. We need to spend that time with you, that thoughtful hour each day, contemplating the life of Christ, especially his death upon the cross. We need your presence and power to be all that you want us to be. Be with each precious person here this morning, Lord. 
If they're discouraged, encourage them. If they're playing around with sin, wrap their knuckles. Whatever it takes, Lord, bring us into your kingdom. May we never stop following Jesus Christ throughout eternity is our prayer in his name. Amen.